0: and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hobcast Book Show from Hobet Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, Hello and welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode number 144. My name is Adrian Hobart.
1: My name is Rebecca Collins.
0: And together we run Hobart Books, UK independent publishers, of the following four genres.
1: Mysteries. Suspense. Crimes.
0: And thrillers. Welcome to the show. And uh, you probably heard... just the, Yeah. That
1: was me though, but...
0: <laughs> no, there she is. She's on the pink chair, which is my favourite spot to watch television from. And she's taking it over. Anyway, that's Aki the cat, of course, the Hobek cat. Welcome to the show. And our guest this week is Jeff Major. Now, we had expected to have J.D. Kirk on the programme, but uh, Barry Hatchison, uh, a.k.a. J.D. Kirk, uh, can, uh, had COVID. He
1: did. And, and lost his voice this week. Yeah, he said it wasn't really a good idea to do a podcast. So
0: <laughs> so at some point in the near future, we will have J.D. Kirk yes, on the programme.
1: we're w- waiting to hear, but I think he's been poorly, so...
0: yeah. Well, it's it's a lot of it about, and I actually had my um, my COVID jab at the beginning of the week. You did. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was sort of, they told me it, I've got the Moderna, Moderna.
1: Oh, when you said Moderna, I was in more modern than the last one.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and they said, oh, it's been tweaked uh, for the new strains of coronavirus. Oh, it's got glitter on it. Well, I don't know. But anyway, so I've had that my flu jab, and I felt rotten for about, 24 hours
1: yeah he was useless about 24 hours well
0: I always am but uh it wasn't great anyway so Jeff Major joins us as a a stand-in and uh Jeff is an author and uh a business consultant and an adventurer
1: yes author explorer
0: absolutely so uh, it's it's terrific um interview and uh thanks for Jeff for stepping in uh, the last minute very last minute, in fact, and um, you put an appeal out for, for potential guests and up he popped. He was the first
1: pop, yes. We had quite a few people pop up and we've got quite a lot of um, guest schedule into 2024 now, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Makes my job easier. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Speak to Jeff uh, very soon because I think news is a little thin this week as it's Frankfurt Book Fair. Yeah. The book mess.
1: The book mess.
0: Bookmesser, uh, Ooh, I guess. Oh,
1: Bookmesser. Right, yeah. So Frankfurt Book Fair took place in Frankfurt, believe it or not, um, last week. I've seen lots of photos of the Frankfurt Book Fair. Our friend the Pineapple Man was at the Frankfurt oh, Book Fair. Oh,
0: Pineapple Man. Great, great guy.
1: Pineapple Man. <laughs>
0: um, but the, the the fact is that uh, you know the nature of it is the entire industry decamps there. 110,000 people attending yeah, Frankfurt um. this week. And where a lot of deals are of course, are struck and so there've been lots of um swooping and snaring going on in the bookseller.
1: But my favourite, I have to say, we were looking at the bookseller, weren't we, for news, and I came across uh there's an imprint called um Little Tiger. Yes. Little tiger pounces instead <laughs> of snares, swoops.
0: Wh- wh- yeah. That's like khaki cat pouncing on, on a unsuspecting on mouse. Yes. Um so little Sort of really to get our teeth into news-wise, but one thing that I just have picked up, um, and I went to the Alliance of Independent Authors, or actually uh, selfpublishingadvice.org dot org, is their sort of a news arm, and um, there's a survey that's come out from an, a Nordic audiobook platform called BookBeat, and they've issued its late their latest annual insights into the state of audiobooks. Okay. And um, this is picked up by uh, Dan Holloway, who is the regular sort of editor of news for Ally. And uh, the couple of little tidbits that they provide are interesting. 30% of all audiobook listening is at a slightly sped-up rate. No. Yeah.
1: Could you do that?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. On Audible, you can you can go I can't several believe times faster.
1: That.
0: Yeah. So Which the, kind of
1: people listen to the Smurfs reading their books?
0: Well, possibly not as fast as that. But I will tell you what, we'll do just to illustrate what that sounds like. We'll get <laughs> we'll get one of my performances up in a minute, and we'll just speed it up. And gradually. I can't wait to hear that. All right, we'll do that in a second. I'll, I'll, I'll dig that out. And then um, people tend to listen to audiobooks before the working day begins. It does night surprise
1: me, yeah. I mean, it's like when you read a book, isn't it? You, you might start off, when you wake up, have a little read before you get up and certainly before you go to sleep.
0: Yeah. But, um, you know, from my perspective as a narrator... Uh, it... As a narrator! Exactly. It annoys me because, <laughs> well, you look, people want to do what they do and, you know, it's not up to me. But the point is that when I am narrating... I'm doing it at a certain pace to suit the the storytelling
1: this is why I'm surprised by you telling me this because i'm I am a listener to audiobooks and I enjoy the pace that the narrator has chosen. Mm. You, know, you get into the
0: slow and the story i it's part of the it's part of the art
1: it is it's part of the experience, and I know we're all busy and time is precious but still i can't I can't imagine thinking. Oh, I've only got a certain amount of time. Let's speed this up.
0: OK, so here's some of Waking the Tiger by Mark Whiteman, which I've got on Audible, which I know Hang on. Why he had needed to speak to them first before attending to the body of the dead woman. Bessoncourt groaned inwardly at the mention of the name Napier and Campbell. OK, okay. so that's normal speed. Yeah. And there's a little it's function the at the bottom here. of the British mercantile companies in Singapore... I wasn't shy about building its considerable power. If it saw the need, <laughs> it better tread carefully. That's 1.2 times speed. There was even less breeze here at the of the go-down. And the sun glinted off the tiny balls of perspiration, beating his bald head. This sun, European... That's one and a half times faster. You sound like you're running. Hearing thoughts... Gemmell produced a bright red handkerchief from the pocket of his jacket and with an exaggerated flourish, mopped away the moisture. His lips moved soundlessly as he continued his examination. Finally, he nodded to himself in apparent satisfaction. Made a note in a small, embossed leather notebook. Right, that's two times. That that is fantastic. (laughs) Who'd want to listen to that? I mean, anyway, I mean...
1: (laughs) Well, my brain, it works very fast, but it would not be able to cope with that.
0: No. No, I, I, I well, so okay. They did say it was slightly sped up. So one point two was just about acceptable, I think. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a speed reader. I mean, I have my my pace that I I go at, but because I want the words to land. And you've got to remember that you know, okay, you could listen to it slightly sped up. I think if you've got the text in front of you. With WhisperSync, which is this thing where you know you can have the Kindle version and it will sync up with the audio, and you could still go a little faster. But when you've got the words in front of you, the words you know the voice doesn't have to carry as much of the information, if you like. Yeah. But when you're when you're delivering words, um, you have to do it at a pace people can absorb, but also enjoy, and let the words sink in. Because if you go too quickly, you know, if you're doing the terms and conditions apply, your house may be at risk, kind of stuff <laughs> that you do at the end of radio adverts for financial products. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you just can't. It's 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 not a relaxing experience.
1: No, no, I agree. It would, doesn't feel relaxing. It's a bit like when you're speed reading. Because I must admit, sometimes um, if I'm if I'm enjoying a book so much, I I want to get to the end quickly. I will start speed reading it, or if it's non-fiction, or Um, actually if it's not a very good book but I'm obliged to read it for some reason then I will speed read it Mm. but it's not because I enjoy that it's there's there's either either a, a, a reason I need to get to the end or I'm actually not enjoying it and I want to move on to a better book so if you're enjoying an audio book I can't imagine why you would do that
0: no no indeed now I was looking for another Thing that I looked out and unfortunately I think I've run out of space for for putting someone on my homepage on my phone so I'm going to have to go back to the bookseller and try and dig out the story I don't know if you recall what we were going to talk about but um, uh, it's um, it's it's a pain when I when I lose something (laughs) like that Um, oh yes that's right Harper Fiction
1: Harper Fiction yes
0: have launched a new crime imprint so Hoback now is another rival oh
1: what, called, what's it called?
0: Hemlock press.
1: A hemlock press. So yeah. hemlock is what you make marijuana out of, isn't it? Uh,
0: yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, hemlock. Yeah. Well, no, hemlocks. Not. No, that's not right. Oh. That's hemp, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yes, hemp. Hemlock.
0: <laughs> hemlock was what Socrates was forced to drink when he uh, when so, he was executed. Uh, I've tried to the, work the out
1: where the name came from, but you're right. If it's a poison given to so- Socrates. Then murder, you know. Right.
0: And they're going to this is run by Julia Wisdom and they're going Hemlock are going to showcase espionage fiction, literary crime thrillers and historical suspense. And indeed their logo uh was unveiled at the Frankfurt Book Fair.
1: Is it a week. hemlock leaf?
0: They'll be launching in twenty
1: twenty four. Oh right. Okay. I don't know
0: is the honest answer. I don't uh I don't know what what's going on. But um it's uh it's, you know Okay, it's quite encouraging to see a new publisher opening. Okay, albeit it's one of the trad uh, big five who are opening this new imprint. Yes, it's a new imprint. But uh, let's be positive about a new publisher because we have mentioned pretty much week on week someone shutting down. Yeah. But that's mainly in the indie community. So, uh, you know, that's good.
1: Well, I think it proves that there is still a demand by readers for this sort Mm. of fiction. There is, you know, the market's still very vibrant. Um, yeah,
0: and obviously they're going to the, the literary end, so they're looking, yeah. you know, and that, that's that's good. I no, mean, I know, think it they, is good, yeah. Definitely. Right, well, we'll get, we'll get into the interview with um, Jeff Major now. And uh, Jeff is uh, lives in Wakefield in Yorkshire and is a remarkable bloke in many, many ways. And as you'll discover from this interview, in a way, writing crime novels, as he is now, is an extension of his... Um, philosophy of challenging himself yes and he's done some remarkable challenges physical charity challenges i mean how many of our guests have been to the north pole he i'm sure is the only one
1: oh uh, i thought you actually wanted an answer
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah sorry i didn't give you a gap to do that uh, okay so how many of them have uh, walked a large chunk of the sahara desert one yeah
1: <laughs> as, you're, as you're
0: here jeff, jeff likes a challenge um, and has been a successful businessman in his own right and was writing cheques for charity, but decided that, you know, you should take a more practical approach. And I think it's that philosophy which drives his author career as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it is with great pleasure that we introduce you to Jeff Major. Well, it's really great pleasure to speak to Jeff Major, who has stepped in at the last minute. You are uh, a wonderful replacement
2: for J.D. Kirk. Thanks for joining us.
1: It's uncanny, actually.
2: <laughs> uh, you, you're welcome. I'll, I'll, we'll save Judge Mottenworth whether I'm a good replacement uh, or not at the end of the interview.
0: We're, we're thrilled that you could join us. And um, let's just establish uh, your sort of credentials, shall we? start.
1: <laughs> not a job
0: uh, interview. And, uh, no, 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 no. No, but in in... Let's look at the writing first of all, because we often tend to start somewhere else. Well, let, let's let's mm-hmm. focus for once on 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 books. And um you are a published author now of how many novels? And you've got
2: others planned, I know. But how many how yeah. many are out at the moment? Uh Two are out at the moment. Uh The first one is called Deadline, Um that was out in twenty twenty, uh, and one came out this year called Hell Has No Fury. Fantastic! And that it sounds came like out... me
1: on a bad day.
2: Well. <laughs> Well, actually, it was me this morning. I was the one losing oh. it. I was absolutely horrendous. this
1: finished my breakfast.
2: Not enough caffeine, obviously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what got into me. Anyway, well, that's fantastic. I mean, so the, that second book came out
2: in uh, January? In January, in, in printed and E, and uh, in August on audio. Fantastic. Oh, now, you. you've already won an award for audio. Yeah. In your we, first book. We
0: were just admiring your earphones award.
2: Yes, uh, that was a, a very pleasant surprise. I got that out on audio in April of this year, um, so to get to get that recognition was great. Um, I, you know, it, it, it's a very busy marketplace out there with uh, with publishers, um, so to get any recognition whatsoever is is great. And for me, this is a hobby rather than a, a chosen career. So again, it's a, a nice little. Pat on the back from somebody independent.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. No,
0: that's uh, Audio File Magazine uh, offering the earphones awards. And now that I'm aware of it, I'm going to be banging yeah, in as many productions as possible.
1: We, we, you know, we, we make audio books. Why haven't we one more yet? Because
0: <laughs> we haven't submitted it. So we've got to get on to that. So thank you. For, for, If nothing else, thank you for that tip. But um, welcome to the show. And and why crime? Why did you pick that as a genre to make your, your literary debut?
2: Um, I, I think... It probably just came out of, I tend to think in pictures, and 20-plus years ago, as I was t- taking the, uh, the girls to school, an idea, a picture popped into my head, and it, it just developed from there. Um, I'd always read John Grisham. Um, I'd, I'd morphed across to David Baldacci for the Camel Club, um, the Jeffrey Davis stuff, especially Lincoln Rhyme. Um, so I, th- I think I had a natural bias towards that way of thinking in fiction not in life clearly um but i didn't have the time i didn't have the maturity um and i probably didn't have the patience to to start to write it i I still do have those first three chapters i ever wrote back in 19 99 or whenever the heck it was um uh, and you know there's, there's a couple of bits in there that carried all the way through to to 20 years later um and then once I'd started on that route, uh, I, I've got another seven in here, um, <clears throat> plus an eighth, which has got nothing to do with crime, but I have promised my mother that I'll write a particular book. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> it, it, it isn't about her at all. It's, the character is not based on my mother whatsoever, honest. Um, but yeah, I'd like to make that slight diversion as well at some point.
1: Um, what genre is that, can we ask? <clears throat>
2: um a little bit of a little bit of travel fiction. Um, so it's um, my mum has a number of nicknames. Um, Griselda Postlethwaite is one of them. Um, <laughs> so it's going to be about a lady called Griselda Postlethwaite. Um, or there's another one she's got. I forget the forename, but something Higginbottom. Um, and it's about her and how her grandchildren know she's unable to travel, <clears throat> so they bring the world to her, and it opens mm. up her horizons. Um, but I, I, every time I keep thinking of doing that, I think, ah, yeah, but I've got this other story I will really, really, really want to do right now. Um, but my mum's 92, so if I want to write it and let her see it, um, I really ought to get a move on with that one. Wow.
1: I think a lot of writers feel that, though, don't they? they have, the, the ideas are coming faster than they can actually put them down. You have that too, don't you?
2: <laughs> and because it's a hobby, <clears throat> excuse me, both books have taken from the, the moment I've sat down To start to plot out what I think it's going to be to it actually being published is two years.
0: Mm. Um, I
2: I squeeze time in uh, early on a weekend. So I might be up at half six and I might sit in front of the laptop for a few hours while my wife still uh, has a bit of a snooze. Um, I've taken days off work. I'm self employed. Excuse me. Um, So. I, I've made that trade-off sometimes because it's the only opportunity I get. And going back to what you were saying, Rebecca, that there's so much stuff in there that's waiting to pour out. <laughs> um, sometimes you've just got to do it. Otherwise, it, it, it becomes a frustration, I think. For sure. And it it's one of those things, I mean, you, you, you enjoy
0: a challenge, um, which we'll yeah. talk about in a minute, but uh, <laughs> in, a, in a wider sense. But when you sat down to start writing that first book, Um, properly now you when you had the time you created the time the maturity um what surprised you about that challenge because in anything in you i mean i get the impression that you you have a sort of at least a rough outline of your life plan judging by the sort of milestones that you put (laughs) for your books and future challenges on your website you you have it sort of mapped out quite quite carefully um so what surprised you when you
2: actually started to really commit yourself to that first book um i think a couple of things first one was um how it started to flow um i would always go to bed cause I, 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 for about three months i took uh, wednesdays and friday off from working for a client um and whenever I went to bed on the Tuesday night or the Thursday night, I knew what the next two chapters were that I was going to draft. So I was surprised at how easily that started to flow. Um, I was pleasantly surprised at my own ability to go, actually, you know what? That's rubbish. Completely get rid of it. Start again. I think if I would tried to do it 20 years before, I would have plowed ahead. I would have created something. And I would have just thought, you know what? It's bound to be good. Um, so th- those are the two things, I think, that that really spring to mind with that first one
1: so that's the maturity isn't it you're talking about i think it's, it's...
2: yeah it's um the, the ability i mean even with the second one um i'd probably written 80 out of the 90 odd chapters but i just couldn't get through those last 10 or 15 chapters and again i think part of the maturity for that one was just going Do you know what stop trying to make it fit take out those 10 chapters that kind of fit and rather than having 10 to 15 chapters left to write I actually had 25 chapters left to write but as soon as I'd taken that mental block out of the way it then flowed out Uh, and again over the next three or four months I finished that off and sent it off to my reader review panel for them to have a look at the the full end-to-end version.
0: Fantastic in terms of editing do do you go do you have a professional editor for that as well?
2: Um, One of the lessons I learned with the first book was um, and this is perhaps a, a slight lack of maturity. Uh, the way I'd formatted it in uh, Microsoft Word uh, is the way I liked it. I, I could read it. I could I could pull pieces apart, etc. cetera. Um, I used a copywriter to go through and make sure that uh, there were no obvious gaffes in there. Uh, and she did a great job in terms of going out, but you said that there, but what about here and then such and such? But when it went off to... Um, Grosvenor House, which is the, the publishing house that I'm using, um, they said to me, Well, oh, actually, it's an unusual format. Are you sure you want to go with that? We can put it in the right format for you for X pounds. Nah. at that time, I thought, nah, come on. You're just looking to get some money out of me. But looking back at the format when it first went out, it was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I have subsequently spent X amount of pounds with a brilliant editor that they use. Um, The lady, I think, is is retired, uh, an ex-publisher's editor. uh, And when it came back, it was brilliant. And I think we changed eight words. And with her formatting, we reduced it by 47 pages. Wow. Um, And and, and it looked like a book. It looked like a book. Mm. Um, So that that was a lesson learned on that one. Um, I I used the same lady for the second one. um, And again, paid the extra X amount of pounds. And it just takes the weight off my mind, because um i'm often told uh, i abuse semicolons <laughs> um, so it, it it's great for me just to go look i just want to get the ideas out there i want mm. to craft them i want to get it to a reader review panel I for for each book i've had six or seven friends who've gone i'll read it i'll give you some feedback um and when it comes back from then i can then just send it off to the publisher and say right you do what you need to do to take out the excessive semicolons format it correctly and just point out I think in the last one there were three things three questions the editor had which is did you really mean that or did you mean such and such um and that wonderful peace of mind because um because I'm self-employed because I've been very fortunate uh I've had work most of the time in the last 22 years um the one thing I am is time poor for sure so uh, I have uh some friends who are authors um Kat Yaff Is a very good Um, friend. We know
1: Kat, yeah.
2: Yeah, I've known Kat since uh, 2012. I think she and I started talking about the adventure stuff um, when she was doing social media. Um, And I know Kat does an awful lot of her own stuff. She Mm. has the time, she has the skill set. Undoubtedly, when one of her books goes out, she's also got more margin to play with because she's Mm. done an awful lot of the the heavy lifting whereas when one of mine goes out with uh, and listen to the uh the podcast from yesterday i think it was um margins on on paper based ones are no pun intended paper thin mm. and if you go to amazon and they load their 40 percent on top then you're either priced out of the market or you're not making a penny and um, certainly in terms of the volumes that people like myself will produce um books uh much bigger margin um and ebooks uh are an okay margin um so thank you uh users of audible and, and uh, kindle <laughs> readers i love you so much um, yeah. but I'm, i i am a tactile person i love paperback i love hardbacks uh, and i think um, a personal uh, ego thing perhaps is i always wanted to be able to look on a shelf in a bookstore and at home and go that's my book yeah.
1: So, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people feel like that, don't they?
2: I, I think that is
0: true of yeah. almost every author. I mean, that is the dream, isn't it? And I, I, I share that dream and personally. I mean, I would love to see my, my name on a spine.
1: Well, I have a confession. So recently, I, I sort of, um, I don't know if you can call it wrote, but it's a deck of cards that are um, uh, positive affirmations. It's like a fifty-two deck of cards. I wrote it for a publisher called Summersdale in, based in Chichester. And I've been looking every time I go into the bookshop, you know, the gifty section they have. with yeah. the, That's where it will be. And I've been looking because I just want to go.
0: Outside.
2: It's, you know, it's um it was already a busy landscape in terms of books. I remember some research, I think it was stateside as opposed to European, but they estimated in Barnes and Noble for every book on that shelf. There were 60 books behind it trying to fight for that one spot. When lockdown came because um, I started to draft the first uh, book deadline before lockdown but when I spoke to uh, the wonderful Becky Banning at, at Grosvenor House she said during lockdown everybody became an author. So if you think there's the large publishers who are paying to get stuff on shelves there's people like yourselves then the indie publishers who were behind that and then behind that you've got those who are self-publishing etc. So I if that 60 to 1 ratio was correct before lockdown, I could well imagine you're probably fighting 120, 250 potential books mm. for that one slot at the moment.
1: No, it doesn't surprise me at but, all. I mean, we're, but, we're fighting that battle all the time, aren't we? Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And um, we get very excited when we get an order through from a bookshop. Like, ah, <laughs> we've made it.
2: <laughs> no, so <laughs> l- l- let me just turn the tables here slightly, folks. Yes, um, of course. Fr- from your perspective... How do you get yourselves out there? Because you've put a lot of time, a lot of effort, blood, sweat, and tears into what you do. And it must be as busy a marketplace for yourselves as publishers to try and get something out there as it is for us as as authors to get our books on a shelf.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And there is, it's an increasingly difficult, as you've rightly um, assayed, it is so hard now to get almost any bookshop to even the ind- independent ones that might have some sort of geographical connection mm. to take a, a a good look because they are swamped with content yeah a, and they're in that position where are they really ready to take a punt sometimes they will if they've got a personal relationship with an author or something like that um or if you can scratch their back in some ways mm. but the bottom line is is that you know we have you know it's easy to conclude and it's not something that we want to conclude but the the with those paper thin margins or non-existent margins in some cases um you do qu- question you know from a business point of view is it worth it the amount of effort it is just to get and then it might just sit there and it might get returned to you so um it is a question of making the ebook and audit the, the digital products work mm. realistically um because that's where there is some hope of margin But at the moment, in terms of print costs, because until the big publishers actually acknowledge that their costs have gone up, too, and adjust cover prices accordingly, Uh, and this country, in the UK particularly, because it's not the same situation in Australia or New Zealand or uh, the United States, where people were prepared to pay more for their books to actually reflect the cost of producing them the fact is in this country they're artificially low cost Mm -hmm. and
1: the price you mean
0: yeah because those big publishers are prepared because they'll get you know if tesco order ten thousand copies of a particular book they're happy to take a small margin on that because they they know they're not paying the author more than you know possibly 100 quid for that order (laughs) they're happy to take it so um you know that's the that is the issue and I think, you know, that's something that is very, very hard to come to terms with. Well, I was going to
1: say the other thing with those sort of big Tesco orders is they order in the sort of major thousands. And so the unit cost goes right down. They also use cheap paper. Um and so they, they, they get a deal with the printer for that order, because the printer knows, you know, fantastic, I get I get an order to two hundred thousand copies of a book. That's good for the printer. Um so they they can afford to do it then. And and they yeah. know also like you say, it gets the book out and it gets the book seen.
0: I mean the, the, the problem is is that in the last two years, certainly the last two years, probably even in the last year, the fact is that print on demand as a concept, a business concept, is borderline dead yes you can satisfy the orders of your mates but you it's very hard to do it as a commercial proposition now because it's doubled some in some you know the cost of a book to print is the double and no one's shifting their margins in terms of the retail discount yeah you know yeah, yeah. you know
2: quite understandably i mean it, going back to the um the vm off of, of amazon um, they have got such a choice to go out to the market and say, well, actually, we're not going to take yours if you're going to try and screw us on price. Um, the the unit cost of production uh, absolutely is is a massive factor. I would imagine um, if one of the major publishers ever took one of my books, they could probably get that 450 page book printed for a couple of quid tops, given the economies of mm. scale. Um, for me, um, given the I think it's the third rise in paper prices in the last eighteen months. Um, it probably costs me seven pounds to get a, a single paperback print-on-demand. Mm. Well, you get Amazon adding theirs on top, and you you might as well just forget any kind of margin. Um, and then, obviously, as a self-publisher, they'll they'll uh, they'll charge me to list the book. Um, so, if I want to get paperback and hardback listed, there's a, an additional charge on top of that from from amazon audio uh, audiobook really interesting avenue um albeit i guess there's a barrier to entry for some people because they aren't necessarily cheap um i went out and i had six different audiobook production companies send me samples through send me quotes through um and personal experience this may not be reflective of of uh, the industry obviously but personal experience The difference in price makes a difference in the quality of narrator. Um, And again, as a a consumer of audio books, I I used to drive 20, 30 hours a week sometimes uh, to get to and from clients. So I would always have an audio book. If you don't have the right narrator or you don't click with that narrator, it doesn't matter how good that book is. That voice can kill that book. Uh, and I'm, I'm chuffed with a lady, Ruth Redmond, is a lady that's read both of mine. Um, she, I, I just love it. Just love mm. it.
1: No, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I think a lot of um, independent authors, they, they, they think, well, I've got to do it cheaply because um, I just want it out in audio. And... Yeah, the the, the the difference. Or they might start thinking about using AI as well as a <laughs> option, which will be very cheap. But will people want to listen it, to but it? Uh,
0: that's it. The AI costs are not cheap. because they? Oh, no. no. Oh. I mean, I've looked at one or two providers that are, are going down that route and you're still paying. Um, so this is a non-human, uh, uh, you know, it, it comes through a lot quicker, obviously, if you do it through AI. But you haven't got the human interpretation, which is really what you're paying for. Yeah. Um, you know, voice quality is all very well and production quality is very well, but actually it's somebody taking that text and elevating it. And uh, that's not going to happen with AI terribly effectively, especially in fiction. I think with nonfiction, it, you know, it, there's a, that's a stronger proposition. But they're charging £120 per finished hour. Oh,
1: okay, so that's just as much which, as the narrator then.
0: Right, which, <laughs> you know, is... Uh, a bit less than I would charge, but for a mate uh, at a mate's rate. Uh, but I have done it for less than that for big companies because you know you want to get in there and get the regular work. Um, so it's not going to. I mean, that's actually quite encouraging at the moment. But once somebody gets you know a s- sort of sweatshop version of an AI doing it, then that could change the market completely.
2: Well, the the, the pace that AI is growing in intelligence, then. Um, I would imagine inflection of tone is probably only about four or five years away. Mm. Um,
0: no,
1: I think so. I, I think
0: it's fairly close now, to be honest. But I think it's that thing of So when you get to that when that gets to that point, people are still gonna pay a premium for a Stephen Fry read audiobook.
1: But then the yeah. AI can do it in the voice of Stephen Fry by then.
2: Sure. Maybe. I mean AI in itself is a a, a whole A whole minefield, isn't it? Because uh, it's perhaps an inappropriate um, comparison, but I think of AI now as how people must have thought about splitting the atom back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, etc., because there is potential for great benefit for the whole world, but there is potential for great evil for the whole world as well. So Mm -hmm. very interesting. There was a, a, a Sky Australia documentary, um, a few months ago, uh, and one of the guys went out and did some interviews with people who were heavily into AI, and some of the stuff that that they talk about is, and some of the stuff they demonstrated, uh, is is truly scary. Um, yeah, t- I mean, t- I, 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 Terminator well, stuff. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I was
0: I was in the W H Smiths um, the other day, and you know, one of the sort of motorway ones, scanning the the popular titles that are in there, sort of outside the Richard and Judy book club bit. And, um, one of them was, you know, AI, the last invention of humans. Um, and it basically, yeah, you know, and I sort of read the back blurb and it was exactly that, you know, we've, we've just made ourselves redundant and, um, and obsolete and probably extinct. Thanks very much for that. (laughs) (laughs) but But that, that is, that is, yeah, that is the conundrum. And of course, Stephen Hawking, before he died, was saying exactly that, um, and and there is somebody who can really look into the future and as well as the, the the past. So, who knows? Anyway, we'll we'll move on from there. And and so we're talking about challenges, and we ought to really spell out what we mean because um, you have on your website and you've, you you have achieved amazing things. Taking on,
1: you've travelled,
0: yes, really <laughs> tough physical challenges in charity. And and so, what was the motivation to, to start that process? Because you talk about, you know, you'd written the checks um
2: but you wanted to do something more practical um it was probably a, a culmination of things um 2009 was my anus horribilis for a number of reasons um and when it got towards the end of that i thought you know what 2010 i just want to go somewhere nice and warm i don't want to be here in the winter i want to do something um but I didn't want to sit on a beach by myself, looking around, going, "Hey, this is lovely." Um, is hello? Anybody? Okay, there's a weird guy sat on the beach talking to himself. So I thought I'd do a, uh, some surfing on the net. Um, the BBC had done the Kilimanjaro thing reasonably recently. That I think it was the Chris Moyles was the first. Yes, the Chris Moyles expedition. Yeah. <laughs> <It's known>. um, <laughs> and the company who organised that, uh, a company called Charity Challenge, um, I saw their advert. Uh, when I did a search, I thought, oh, I'll just have a look, see what they do. Um, and I, th- I think the appeal was, A, I could do something different. B, it gave me a focus because at that time, um, I'd got a-, a lot of free mental time um, up top. Um, and I thought, I've not ridden a bike for a while. I've never been to Cuba. Um, <laughs> my My girls and my ex-wife... Um, had had been there on holiday several years before, and the girls said it was it was an amazing place. So I thought, do you know what? I'll spend nine months getting my bottom used to a saddle again so I can cycle 40-plus miles a day five days in a row in 80-degree heat, and I'll do that. And I loved the training. I loved the build-up to it. Um, Cuba was an amazing place. It, it still is. We we, um, we were very fortunate to go on holiday there this year as well uh, and by chance we went back to the same resort where we started the bike ride 12 years ago um, so I had a great time uh, I loved it um, I think I only raised about £3,000 for charity on that one but I was bitten by the bug then so I, I came back I went back onto the Charity Challenger website I thought right come on what what what's next after cycling it's got to be something big um, and the one thing that made me go oh wow and oh crap, pardon the French, um, was a North Pole trek. <laughs> um, six days, six nights ski trekking to the geographic North Pole. Um, it, it took all of my savings because it ain't cheap. The Russians control the access. Um, they parachute a bulldozer in every year around March. They clear a runway so uh, a, a transport jet can get in there. They set up camp for a couple of months, get people going there to do things like the North Pole Marathon. Um, you get explorers going out there and basing themselves out of uh, out of that site. Um, and so I spent eighteen months pulling car tires around the local park, um, having mothers pulling the children close and going, "There's that weird guy there now. He's here every week." Um, but it, it it was brilliant. Again, it gave me that focus. It gave me something to to go to the gym for. I'm not somebody who can go to the gym because it's a good thing to do to stay fit. Um, I have to have a reason to go there. Um, I joined a group of, it should have been 10 of us. Um, It was actually a group of nine because one of the guys who was coming with us um, died uh, while he was out training. He he lived in the Lake District and he went up on uh, one of the the cliffs up in the the Lake District and unfortunately lost his footing and and fell 300 feet to his Mm. death. Um but we took a bag of his ashes, uh, which was his family's wish, with us to the North Pole. Um, <laughs> I said a little speech, um, and we spread some of his ashes there. But that was that was fantastic. Um came back from that, um and a few people that I knew were uh were a little bit in awe that this, you know, old fat ginger guy could actually get himself to the North Pole and back. Um that's you. And the... <laughs> Harsh. Um, so they said what are you doing next so i thought well do you know what i've been to the cold end what would it be like to do something hot um so i persuaded uh, 17 friends and my eldest daughter um, to do five days across the sahara um so we did that and, and lifelong friendships were made on that trek Mm-hmm. It was absolutely brilliant. Again, through Channel Challenge because it was it was overseas. Um, and having done that, I then thought, well, I'll probably do some more. But I'd also like to do some UK stuff. And I'd like to arrange it. I'd like to research it. I'd like to recruit people. Um, so, yeah, we did a, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, we've done over 400 miles on a seven-seat circular bike across the north of England. Um, hmm. We've witnessed uh, two small car accidents as the drivers have been rubbernecking at what on earth is that bike? Oh, and then no.
1: at the brakes <laughs> on. They're only
2: they're only minor shunts, but um, we've had a 24-hour non-stop karting challenge um, at a site in Leeds, and that was 10 teams of six drivers. Uh, we rode 100 kilometers on the River Thames, two teams of six in fact of 19th century water taxis. Uh, we did that <laughs> over over two days. Um, it was really interesting. One of the guys that I know, uh, uh, John, John Taylor, uh, he captained the other team. Um, and he sent me a text about half an hour after we'd all finished and, and gone our separate ways. And one of his team was called Zach. And he said, Zach's just sent me a text. He said, the only thing that's working is his right leg. The rest of his body is just broken. It was, uh, the end of the first day was just horrendous. It took us 45 minutes rowing against the tide on the Thames to do half a mile. And, you know, I think we carried that over into the second day, which is a lot easier. Um, But we've got some great photographs. I think that one raised £27,000 net for a variety of charities. Gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we took part in the World um barge pulling championship which is held at beverly um every couple of years um so at the moment uh, myself and the people who've taken part in the charity challenges that i've organized and arranged we've raised 140,000 pounds net uh, for charity um we did do the great wall of china in 2016 and my uh, my wife came on that one um And I'd said, that's it. Don't worry, honey. That's, you know, no no more challenges. Let's just relax into life now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't. I I did the Snowden Triple Challenge last year, which was 10-mile bike ride, up and down Snowden, and a two-mile kayak in a day. Um, And we've just uh, started to advertise one for 2026, um, which is Hadrian's Wall, coast to coast. We'll walk one way, and we'll cycle back the other.
1: Well, fantastic.
2: So, so yeah, uh, I, I'd, I'd intended, to go back to your point earlier, Adrian, about you seem to have you, your life almost plotted out. I didn't know how long I'd do challenges for. I expected in 2019 that was it, which is then I went on to write, let me write some books now. But they, it, it's kind of intertwining. It's just the mortgage payments get in the way. I've got to keep working. So that's the downside at the moment. Yeah, yeah.
1: Life's annoying like that though, isn't it?
0: I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, right. I've only, you know, I've done a fraction of what, you know, I've done a couple of challenges. And the, you the, did
1: the Paris bike thing. I
0: did, yeah. I did the Royal British Legion one to uh, cycle to Paris from London, uh, which was the big one. And I've done a couple of sort of one-dayers. But um, what I found from that, yes, the camaraderie is extraordinary yeah. and really life-affirming. And actually, the more I think about it, the more I need to do something like that again, in, in a way.
1: were well, you trying to persuade me to do the Paris thing. Mm.
0: I did, um, and I would love to do that with you, but it, it, it is amazing. <laughs> I need to um, get my but, bike bum But back it, is, it is. It's getting the bike bum and, and, and all that prep, having a goal, and then achieving it is just the best feeling. I mean, I can never, ever describe fully that feeling of marching together with all those cyclists and a full military band and French generals and the British Army and whatever.
1: This, were there pom-poms?
0: No, not pom-poms, no. <laughs> No I mean it was it was a it was a no, it was a formal ceremony of the Arts of Triumph in front of the uh, the she banned us, i imagine pomp no oh, no 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 i mean no, um in front of the unknown soldier flame, you know the eternal flame, and that was the one of them and singing the Marseillaise was just the most extraordinary sensation um so I'm
2: tell having, you what, what
0: why don't you get your bike bottom ready why don't yeah. you come
2: do the Hadrian's wall challenge well, I We'll bring some pom-poms too.
0: Okay. There you go. Uh, well, on that technical thing then, um,
2: is that is that going to be road bikes or is that going to be mountain bikes to do that? Uh, mountain mountain bikes. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, well, mountain bikes, hybrids, uh, but but not road bikes. No. Right.
1: Yeah, because you'd be over country terrain, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. So... No, I'm just checking.
0: Yeah. You know, anyway, that's uh, that's important to know. Well, I mean, from your perspective, you've obviously got the bug. Um but I'm I'm interested to know, if we take it back to the writing, because you have gone through those challenges, some of which have been extreme, you know, North Pole, Sahara. That's, that's,
1: yeah, you can't get much more that's, extreme than those two, can that, you? They're
0: pretty, I mean, well-organized, I'm sure, and, you know, everyone's prepared, but nonetheless hardcore. That must give you quite a lot of insight into the way you write your characters, for instance, because it's only when you really get up against it that you really yes, understand. Yes, you're,
1: you're understanding yourself, aren't you? When you put yourself in those extreme situations, you understand your own character better. So, I think what you're saying is, does that help you understand your characters? Um, I don't,
2: I don't know consciously that it actually has translated into, into any of the the writing and the the building of the characters. Um, for me, the, the the challenge piece and then the writing piece is all about how far can I push myself. And do I have the dedication to walk the talk? Because it's easy to say, I'd like to do a fundraising challenge. It's easy to say, oh, I'd love to write a book one day. Mm. But the discipline of actually doing both of those is incredibly similar. You've got to be persistent. You've got to be consistent. And you've got to keep that end in mind all the way through. Um, but in terms of the, the the writing of the characters, um no i think the characters so far are just they, they are in complete figments of my imagination uh, whether or not subconsciously is there anything there mm. uh, that's helped shape them i don't know but it's usually the situation that i'm thinking about that's popped into my head so the second book is an example um still in the kitchen washing some dishes that wouldn't go in the dishwasher um, <laughs> and i could hear a few houses down um a woman shouting a little child and the more she shouted at the child, the more the child screamed, "No!" And that suddenly sparked something. I thought, "I wonder how far somebody would go to get their own way," which then led on to another thought, which then led on to another thought. And it was that situation which then created the um, the, the landscape for the plot. Um, I don't think I can associate. I hope I can't associate with with uh, any of those characters. Is um, it interesting? You've got me thinking now. I wonder whether or not there is anything. <laughs> there. My, so my other, wonder.
0: my other question on the character thing is because you know, in your day job as a, a consultant, going into different businesses, and oh, very, you
1: must see some great characters. Yeah, in that.
0: precisely because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, one of the things that comes through, and I've been on, as you say, on your LinkedIn, is the, you know your understanding of people comes through because as a freelance I mean that's one of the first things you've got to do is win trust and and you know when you're trying to implement uh or offer advice and then implement change um you need to win people over but you must see all sorts of people in the different
2: businesses that you've worked through because they're quite diverse uh yes yeah um i don't again I don't think any of the I don't think any of the character personas have reflected any of those people. It certainly added a richness to my understanding of how some people operate. Mm. Um, and and there, might, there might be a hybrid of one or two characters where I've, I've taken people's names and thought, right, I'd, yeah, let's put you in this book and let's kill you off.
0: <laughs> Great
2: <laughs> satisfaction. Um, but I, I, I'm also at the point now where I've got people saying... Well, I've been your next book, can I? Can I? I yeah, don't they love it. Me. they can do, I you're gonna um, get a lot of that. Yeah, I think, uh, in, in in the third one, which is about a third of the way through at the moment, um, there are four people in there who have names of people that I know, um, but that hopefully, um, they're not you know so closely associated in personality that they can go, Whoa, Wait a minute.
1: Yeah, that you don't me to me say.
2: Your book. Why did I do that? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um. So yeah, lots of people, lots of different uh, attitudes from people. Um. I'll very briefly reflect on this because it's it's nothing to do with with writing, but it's interesting going into different organisations and they all think they're very different, but actually underneath it all. The vast majority aren't different at all. There are some nuances, obviously, given different industry sectors. But fundamentally, they're all a process intended to create a profit, which Mm. will be enabled by technology, enlivened by people. Um, If you don't know your process, if your technology doesn't support your process, if your people aren't trained, then you're not going to deliver what you think you're going to deliver to the customer or the client. Um, And part, part of my task sometimes is to find out, so where's it broken? And part of my uh, task sometimes is to say, right, this is what you want to put in place to make this change. So I'll project manage that for you.
0: That's uh, phenomenal. I mean, you, you know, and that's that project management. So does that make you a, a planner or a pantser? Because I'm getting the impression that, <laughs> you know, a bit, you know, bit of a hype Again, this word hybrids coming into my mind.
2: Yeah, a, a bit of a hybrid when it comes to writing. Um, I, I do get to a point where, Um, I I do try and plot out how I think it's going to go chapter by chapter, but it it changes so often and so much. Um, I was just reflecting then as well on your your point earlier, Adrian, which was how I've planned my life out. Um, I don't... I've certainly planned the books out because I think it's going to take me two years to write each one. So I'll just say every two years, here's a new book, and this is a sequence I'd like to do it in. Um, But other than that, again, in my life, my wife would probably say, well, sometimes you like to make a list and you like to really detail and plan, (laughs) and other times you just go, ah, what the hell, why don't we? Um, But
1: doesn't that make a good project manager? A good project manager is somebody who does know how to plan and will put a plan in place, but it can also adapt when things change.
2: I should have you as part of my PR team, shouldn't I? <laughs> <clears throat> um yeah, no, it's important to be to to adapt. Um uh, well, uh, you know, the same with the, the writing of the plot. As I go through things, something will suddenly occur in my mind. I think, oh, actually, that opens up that opportunity. So if I turn slightly left there rather than going right, and then I link that back up in X amount of chapters time, that would that would neatly tie together. Yeah. Um it's quite bizarre. Where and when those things pop into your head
0: oh they're the best moments yeah aren't they? yeah they're,
1: they're...
0: i mean they're, you know I, like I, I, moments. I i I sometimes wake up and say, oh, "I've had that light bulb moment about whatever thing I'm thinking about, and they are just
2: wonderful feelings, aren't they, yeah, yeah, it's great to to suddenly think, do you know what actually, I didn't know how that was going to weave together, but now I do, and now I love it, similarly. There are times when I go to bed and as I'm thinking, I think, oh, that'd be a good idea. And then I wake up next morning and I think, what a load of rubbish that was. What <laughs> on earth made What on earth made you think that was going to be a good idea? Um But I, I, I love it. I would hate it to be my day job. I would hate to have to think I have got to write such a good book that I'll get so many sales that it will pay the mortgage. Because I yeah. think for me, it would take the fun out of it. It's the same with the, the fundraising challenges. There was a a year or two where I thought, could I turn this into a a business, actually? But I just couldn't see myself saying to people, yeah, you give me money to take part in this challenge, and I'll keep some of it. Because ethically, the whole idea is you're doing something in your own time, of your own volition, putting in the effort all by yourself. I shouldn't be charging for it. Um, And and I'm not certainly not a a specialist like – I've got a friend, uh, Phil Lee, um, ex-military he can be in any situation outdoors and he will see you through and he does brilliant jobs leading large groups of people on long walks etc 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 i could never i could never be him because i don't have his knowledge and his skills um and again uh, my day job is i do project management or i do problem analysis etc hobby is let's have some fun with a challenge or let's write a book uh, mm. Increasingly the latter, Incre- increasingly the latter. Brilliant, brilliant. Mm. Well, look,
0: um, you like a challenge, so <laughs> I know where this uh... is
1: going. I love this segue, segues? segways.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's um, let's let's put one in front of you that you can't plan for, because it is Rebecca's random question.
1: Right. So regular listeners of the podcast will know that my random questions often come to me on the day or from conversation with my children that sort of thing you know i don't research them or anything they just come to me so this one is based on a conversation i had today in the car taking my children to school i was telling them my dream last night because it was so bizarre and after i told them my dream my eldest well i've got well, not my eldest child he's at university but the eldest of the two in the car said why would you tell anybody that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in brief, the dream was (laughs) I was uh, I went to a festival with a friend from school who I haven't seen for years and Kylie Minogue. And we were having a great time. And I was thinking, gosh, Kylie Minogue. Wow, this is amazing. And anyway, there was a bird flying in the sky and Kylie drew out a gun and she was trying to shoot at this bird, but she couldn't get the gun to go off. And I was screaming and I said, no, put the gun away. I don't like guns. Put the gun away. And Kylie turned to me and she was furious. And she said, I'll never be able to join the police unless I practice on birds. So will you stop it?
2: <laughs>
0: Where is this going? Uh, <laughs> yeah, is? Okay. I'm really worried. I'm really worried. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have vivid dreams? And if so, do you analyse them? Do you think they mean anything? What do you think about these dreams?
2: Uh, do I have vivid dreams? Uh, yes. Um, do I try to analyse them no. um, Do they mean anything? Uh, they say dreams are, are, are repressed thoughts or or other things. Um, no, no. I, I think the, the, the simplest thing for my own sanity um, is probably just to say I don't analyze them. Um, whenever I've mentioned dreams to either my wife or, or either of my girls whenever they're around, they do tend to look at me to say, what on earth (laughs) um my wife says have you eaten cheese before you go to bed yeah Um, some of the dreams um it's you know i don't know if it's a dream sometimes or if it's me in that halfway house between sleeping and being awake but i mean the other night um and I, i told my wife the next morning i said i don't know where it came from but i had convinced myself in my head that I wouldn't be able to go to sleep until I'd moved into three different positions. So if I was comfortable, didn't matter how comfortable I was, I needed to move, and then I needed to move again before I'd be able to go to sleep. No idea. Not had cheese, not drunk, not had anything else, because mm-hmm. I don't take anything else and I, I rarely drink anyway. But it's, it's interesting where some of this stuff comes from. Um, if I were you, I wouldn't go anywhere near Cali Minogue in the future. Uh, I think there might be a restraining order somewhere in the uh, in the f- in your future if you do. Um. Yeah. Very, very random. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. That, well, that was... you were talking about the the needing to be in a certain position. I have that every night. I always start on the one side, and then I turn to the other. And it's only when my I can feel my mind has started floating, I I think right time to turn over. I turn over to the other side, and I fall asleep. Yeah, every no. night the same uh,
0: yeah i have a three position
1: position no mine's two see
0: prep um, and <laughs> right center left back to the right and then off i we go
2: yeah yeah uh, no, no, the, every the, time on your right and then turn to your left to go properly to sleep absolutely um but, but this this thing was whenever i whenever i woke up i was thinking oh crikey all right i've got to get settled to three different positions to run it back to sleep and of course then your mind just starts to talk to itself, which is always frowning at four o'clock because then the lights come on in your head and
1: Yeah. I, I have a mental really?
2: phrase that I always say to myself,
0: um, which is <laughs> fast delivery outside off stump. Um cool. but for for Americans that's a cricket reference. Um <laughs> and I don't know why I say it in my just before I go to sleep, but I do.
1: And I I play a game where I go through the alphabet. And um, I pick a category, for example, celebrities, and I have to name ABC. But if I get a double name, like Adamant, I get double points. And I very rarely get to the letter E.
2: Dear listener, (laughs) you are still tuned in to the (laughs) podcast you haven't gone off into some alternative world no no (laughs) i think the regular listeners will know this is a very
0: very standard (laughs) hobcard folk show
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'll say oh i need a category and you'll say like cricketers or something i think oh really i don't know any cricketers
2: (laughs) you should learn cricket's good i i I played cricket only village level but i played cricket for 15 years loved it absolutely loved it we we got to a point i think in the peak we're playing four times a week um, wow that, that's good. that was from oh from 16 through to 28 that that was uh my hobby should we say at the time just love playing cricket
1: well my bro- my brothers play cricket all his life he plays i think he still plays for Hinstock village and i grew up with cricket on all the time my dad and my brother both obsessed with it <laughs> so i should know some cricketers
0: i, I was a hopeless player but I-, I love it i love it and um yeah okay well should we leave it at that no um <laughs> jeff where can people find you online uh to, to learn more about all the things that you do
2: well um so uh they could go to uh, jeffmajor.info um which covers all three aspects of me whether it be my work um the challenges um or books uh they can find me on and again uh, I, I have to call it twitter i I can't call it x (laughs) um that's just wrong um so i am at Gradus primus uh on twitter uh, and i think on facebook i'm actually primus Gradus because greatest primus has taken darn it
1: (laughs) darn how dare they
2: i know how rude um uh, it's been great thank you so much for the opportunity and I, i saw the opportunity pop up on twitter yesterday Um, I had to take it, even with a random question. uh, I'm really (laughs) pleased that I did. Um, I wish you both the best, uh, both personally as well as professionally. Um, Certainly hope that... um, mr kirk recovers quickly as well but i thank him for the opportunity um, <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, he, he won't mind
2: <laughs> yeah well you know
0: it it's it's one of those opportunities that comes along and um, yeah we thank him too and we look forward to speaking to him but thank you jeff for, uh, for for joining us at such such short notice and it was a fantastic interview so thank you so much
2: thanks both well we've
0: got the um we've got the pack through which uh, explains what might be involved in cycling and walking the length of Hadrian's Wall.
1: I'll need to get a mountain bike, though, won't I?
0: Yeah, you will. You will. I have one um, in my father's I've garage. What an
1: idea. We'll get a mountain tandem bike.
0: There are such things, um, but they're notoriously tricky because, you know, if you've got a full suspension built in mm. you know one bit of you might be going over rocks and the other bit's not and so it's, it can be very oh. sort of like a bucking bronco i think
1: i did like the idea but yeah okay fair enough
0: <laughs> but uh, no well there's a few years to prepare for that uh, but, uh, we, we might very well need it and of course if you were on the hadrian's wall there wouldn't be a treat at sycamore gap to go and admire anymore no. as a very of all that. Sad. so uh thank you jeff stepping in we're going to re. Looking for a uh, last-minute replacement this week as well because yes. our, uh, our planned guest, um, who we were supposed to speak to a few weeks ago, can't make it this week either. No. So uh, this is all getting a bit tricky. But we have some options, not least uh, through the contacts we've made at an event we were at yesterday.
1: Yes, uh, so we, we've got Boxing Day syndrome today, haven't we? Which yeah. is when you're a bit fuzzy-headed, but you're very smiley and happy at the same time. Yeah, like you a, are on Boxing Day.
0: We had a wonderful day in Birmingham. On Saturday, uh, we were invited very last minute to Rachel McLean's wedding to um, Sally Brooks. Sally Brooks, and uh, congratulations to them both. It was an amazing uh, ceremony.
1: It was lovely with
0: a a drag artist celebrant.
1: It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was very funny. Very so, I had sort of almost tears of laughter. And tears of emotion and um, it's a long time since I've been to a wedding and I'd forgotten how emotional mm. they can make you feel. And it, it was, it was truly lovely and just like the whole day, it's got this sort of glow around it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a really good way of putting it. And I, you know, we were invited at sort of really quite last minute, sort of a week, with a week to go. Um, I'm very flattered to be there. Uh, you know, we've known Rachel for a couple of years now and you're now working alongside her on, on some projects yeah. so, which is which is terrific uh very nice to meet sally and the, and her family and you know there were lots of uh, authors from the birmingham authors group and uh and associates of, of rachel's and we had a great time and it was nice to sort of share perspectives i mean i sort of lost count of the people were going oh you're a publisher you're brave um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah um and we are but um yeah it, it was it was a it was a lovely occasion, and um, I was able to attend because my dad isn't quite yet out of hospital. If you remember last week, I mentioned that he had a major heart operation just over a week ago, um, and he is still being assessed as to when he can come, come home, but almost certainly the beginning of this week, that's where I'm going to be, is nursing him, um, getting him back at home, and, and, and sort, you know making sure he, he can cope. Um, so that'll be a large chunk of my focus this week but uh it was just lovely to step out of life and into a bubble of
1: love yes it was a bubble wasn't it mm. and just just talk to people and some people we knew some people we didn't know and um just it was like a day of chatting and we talked about all sorts of things didn't we mm. 80s music books wine food Weddings, well,
0: adult intellectual conversation, which we don't get very oh, often. Oh,
1: yeah, we had some quite intellectual conversations with did, yeah. a lovely lady called Jenny from Leicester. Um, you know, we got quite deep into uh, what's been happening with universities mm. and the BBC and mm. um, politics and. Yeah,
0: institutions <laughs> and all sorts of but stuff. But I
1: miss that sort of conversation. Yeah. We just don't have, I mean, you know, you and I, we do sometimes talk about these things, but because we live together and we work together, we don't often just sit and no. chat about other things.
0: No, that, that was very very refreshing.
1: And I got you on the dance floor very briefly. Yeah, very,
0: extremely briefly, <laughs> that's for sure. So, um, in fact, next week we have a, a similar situation, um, as we say, with, with uh, a last-minute substitute. So we can't tell you who's coming on. But I'm sure they'll be fabulous. And, you know, one of the joys of what we do with this podcast is having conversations with people we've never met before and just exploring what they have to say. And and it's
1: always something different. It's isn't it? always
0: something different. And I'm sure if you're a regular listener to the podcast, that's hopefully what you value because that's what we value in our guests and their um, willingness to, to go with the way our brains work. Uh, in those conversations. Yeah, so, I,
1: I think we've been very lucky because, you know, we, we don't, we, as we tell them, we do some mm. preparation, but we don't do much preparation. It's a very sort of um, organic process, isn't it? It is,
0: yeah. And I think that's the, the essence of, of the strength of what we do. Um, unfortunately, this week we also didn't get a chance to get down to Bristol because uh, for those in the UK and particularly our uh, Scottish friends and uh, Scottish authors, it's been a hellish. Uh, 48 hours of or 72 hours of weather with Storm Babette sweeping across the UK, and uh, we weren't able to get down to Bristol to um, show moral support to to Brian Price and the launch of his latest book. Um, which was most unfortunate, but, you know, t- travelling on Friday was going to be horrendous.
1: Well, I actually, I had to school run on Friday morning and you and I weren't sure what the weather was going to be like. And I set off at a normal time and I had to drive through four or five um, points of flooding on the road. And my heart was going like, like mad. It was mm. really quite stressful. And I was, half of me was thinking, do I, am I going to get home? <laughs> if it carries on like this, am I going to be able to get home? It's only a short journey. So, yeah, that's at that point when we thought, there's no way we're going to drive to Bristol and back.
0: No, no, it would have been hideous. It's, it's never an easy journey but on I've, a Friday anyway. But
1: yeah. I've seen some photos, and it looks like a really good time was had by all. And Brian has even had his brain churning over book five.
0: Well, isn't that wonderful? He that's sent brilliant.
1: us his sort of initial thoughts, so it's going to be a good one. Mm,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I've got uh, an audition to do later this afternoon. Um, very kind American author has contacted me to ask if I'm available to narrate. He loves my Churchill voice, believe it or not. And uh, I don't even know if I'd, I had a Churchill voice. Yes,
1: yeah, so you're also working on some, uh, is it middle grade fiction? Yeah,
0: yeah, and some stuff for Hobeck. Yeah, so, so um,
1: you, you've got quite a lot on your plate. I do, I do actually. <laughs> yeah, I not do. to put the pressure on you or anything. Well, oh, but... thanks for that. <laughs>
0: No, absolutely. Right, well, thank you for joining us this week. And uh, as I say, we'll have a mystery guest next week. But uh, if you'd like to f- know more about Hobeck and indeed all the other things we do, go to our website, www.hobeck.net. And you'll find the details there. Archpub.net for our Arch publishing services arm as well. But uh, it's been a real pleasure to join you again this week. Thank you for your company. My name's Adrian Hobart.
1: My name's Rebecca Collins.
0: And together we'd like to wish you a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobec Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobec online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.